The Gadget Guy on Cambridge 105 Radio with the Centre for Computing History, Cambridge. Making the history of computing fun for everyone. Visit computinghistory.org.uk to find out more. Thanks very much to Lucy Milazzo for the last couple of hours on Home. She'll be back next week from 4pm. This week on The Gadget Guide, we're going to be taking a look at all various uh, technology news, as well as some of the gadgets that your dentist might approve of. Uh, You're listening to The Gadget Guide with Rob and Lawrence, and it's time now to take a look at this week's technology news. Starting off in the land of uh, Pixel 8 phones, which will be the next generation of Google's flagship phones, and there's a a rumour that they're going to get a feature that Samsung has had for quite a while, and that's the Samsung DeX environment, which basically allows you to turn your phone into a portable computer. Now, this is something I think we mentioned a few episodes about uh, ago because it's it's something that kind of goes around uh, every now and again in the world of mobile computing uh, as people sort of say, oh, well, yes, we we should absolutely have one device that gets put onto different, uh, <laughs> different screens and maybe multiple screens that go onto one device and then it all goes away again for a bit as, uh, as we realise that, uh, that the cloud is a thing and it's much easier just to, uh, to synchronise your documents. Um, this is, uh, is Google's latest go at it though, isn't it? Uh, it is, and like I said, it, it's something that Samsung have had for a while. Now, Samsung uh, didn't really have that much in the way of additional hardware. It was just functionality. You didn't have to do a lot apart from plugging in a USB-C dongle to connect to things like an HDMI. Or if you plug to a USB-C hub, you could then plug in a keyboard, a mouse, and take out an HDMI feed to a bigger monitor, or even your TV. Now, and it's, turned- the moni- it's the monitor bit that's the, the new bit here, because there's this sneaky little sort of little known bit about a lot of modern, certainly Android phones, which is that you can already plug a keyboard and mouse and things like USB headsets and, and stuff like that in. If you've got a USB-C port on the bottom, which almost all of them do, um, and you get either, a, as you say, a USB-C hub or even just a USB-C uh, to A adapter... Um, if you plug in like a USB pair of headphones, it just works. And if yes. you plug in a mouse, you get a mouse cursor on your phone screen. And that's, yep. that, that, that's bonkers the first time you try it. Uh, <laughs> but but it, it does just do a thing. Um, so it's, it's really the, the external display functionality in real time as distinct from the likes of Chromecast and Miralink. And, and so Chromecast is, is fast enough for most people. So even if you if you don't want to do that and you Chromecast your phone's whole screen to your TV, for example, and you plug in a USB keyboard mouse dongle, something that's combined, it can turn your phone into a quite a, a reasonable um, way of surfing the internet on your TV without having to do anything else fancy, not plugging a computer into your TV. Um, I, what I find it's I find it's good for sort of sharing content. Yes, yeah, you know, it's, it's good for you sharing your your videos or, or photos or that sort of stuff. Um, I find it a little bit laggy if I'm trying to only look at the TV the the TV or projector yes. screen. Um, yeah, if you're the one driving, then it's it's often easier to to just look at your phone screen. Yeah, whereas if you're taking the display out of the USB-C port, ideally via, so there are a lot of uh, USB-C hubs available that give you uh, USB-C connection to your phone or to a PC, and then outputs to VGA or HDMI, so conventional monitor technology or TV technology, and then additional USB ports that you can plug in, things like the keyboard and mouse, but also importantly, things like storage. You can plug your flash drives into those. Um, And then sometimes things like an Ethernet connection, so you can plug a wired network connection into your phone which sounds like a daft thing 
but has its advantages if there's rubbish Wi-Fi where you are, but you've got access to a network connection. Sometimes hotels, that can be an advantage. Now, the DeX environment that Samsung came up with basically turns your display into something that is more like a computer interface. So it doesn't just try to replicate what's on your phone screen to your, your display. It actually gives you a menu that makes more sense in that bigger screen. And yes, some apps automatically scale to take advantage of the size of that screen. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a, a sort of higher fidelity experience than uh, than just Chromecast. Interesting to see, I think, how this plays out in terms of how many actual users we get uh, of this sort of technology. It's it's something, as as I say, it's something that's been around a bit both in proprietary implementations. We also had, uh, was it MHL back in the days of, of micro USB, uh, where some phones would support a, a micro USB to uh, to HDMI adapter. It existed for a few generations. I don't think I ever saw anyone use it in real life. I wonder if it's going to be the same with DeX or... Yeah, I, I tell you what's probably going to be the deciding factor. So when we get iPhones with USB-C... Do they also support it? That... And if Microsoft release a PowerPoint for mobile that can take your PowerPoint presentation and push it out over that sort of connection so that when you arrive to do a presentation, you don't have to use a laptop. You can just plug your phone in to the yes. venue's presentation environment, be it a projector or big screen, and do your presentation. Yep. It's a lot less I stuff to lug around for that sort of thing. I am going to put on my wish list for, uh, for PowerPoint and, and Office 365 a native way of remotely controlling your PowerPoint slides uh, yeah. with presenter view from the PowerPoint mobile app. Because the, yeah, you have yeah. PowerPoint on your phone already. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, and it's already talking to your, your Microsoft account. Um, why can't I use my, my phone as, as a, a remote? There's, lo yep. there's lots of third-party apps that, that let you do it. And indeed, the, the way I cheated the other day was uh, was just to use a VNC server on my laptop to uh, to remotely control my <laughs> laptop. Um, but yeah, this seems like such a no-brainer. Um, you know, give me my presenter notes. Give me a preview of my next slide on my phone or tablet. Yeah, that, yeah so you, you can Microsoft glance down at your phone like you would cue cards. In exactly. the days when we did that for presentations. Exactly. There, there's your uh, your free product idea of the week. Um, yes. Let's move on now from... Uh, My, Microsoft from Research that. are Cambridge-based, aren't they? Yes. Uh, Hello, chaps. Have a, <laughs> yes, uh, uh, have a presentation. Uh, moving on to another bit of uh, of Google's empire, and, and this is uh, uh, YouTube, but also their gaming side. So you may remember uh, last year that Google announced the death of Google Stadia. This was their cloud gaming platform. Um, the idea being that you got a relatively moderately powered console uh, or controller and all of the actual grunt work of, uh, of running a, a very high performance game happened on Google servers in the cloud. They're not the only ones to try this sort of technology, um, but they decided it didn't have a, a future in Google. They closed it down. Is it back? Well, there's a rumour that uh, Google are going to be uh, building something called YouTube Playables. So apparently this is in internal testing. Um, yes, leaks have happened and internal Google staffers may have leaked some details that they are playing with a thing that lets them play games inside a YouTube type environment. So it could be quite interesting. And whether bits of Stadia come back to life this way. I mean, they've got all the code that they built. Yep. And you've already got customers who are using YouTube on their premium subscriptions. Well, if you just go, here's an additional benefit. You can have gaming. 
that could be an interesting thing for them. Uh, and of course, that's that's going to apply very nicely to a lot of the embedded devices that have YouTube on at the moment, the Chromecasts, obviously. Uh, Lots of TVs. Also televisions, Blu-ray players, other brands of games console, if they run the YouTube uh, app, maybe maybe we can uh, we, we can see some of that Google technology uh, extending into the gaming world there. Uh, could be a neat way of, uh, uh, of them sort of getting into a lot of those other ecosystems if they can make it truly, uh, truly cross-platform. We'll be watching that space closely. Yes. Um, moving on now, uh, sort of. Uh, we're staying very much in the Google sphere at the moment. I promise that'll, uh, that'll change so- shortly. Um, but UK police forces are uh, reporting a large number of uh, silent or accidental 999 calls. Uh, and this seems to have had a sudden uptick to correspond to a new feature in the Android Um, operating system that's used by a lot of mobile phones, or rather a slightly tweaked feature. So the idea here is that um, if you can't necessarily fully use your phone, if you hit the power button, I think it's something like five times uh, in rapid succession, that can be treated as a distress signal. So hopefully it's something that you shouldn't do accidentally. That maybe doesn't seem to be the case, um, but without being able to see the screen, without being able to you know, fully operate the display and the touch screen, you should be able to call the emergency services. That, we think, may be resulting in a large number of, uh, of accidental uh, 999 calls. Uh, an- annoyingly, I almost want to try it, but... You know, you don't, you shouldn't try. <laughs> it's one of those, you know, does my phone do it, this or not? It, um, I think mine did. And I, I think I have accident, uh, activated it before, but I think it asked for confirmation first or right. gave me the, uh, a few seconds gave to me say the option no. to cancel. Um, <laughs> so it's a sort of, you know, if, if you do this, um, uh, then, you know, it'll, it will dial in five seconds time or something right. unless you press cancel. And I think right. I did inadvertently trigger this a while back uh, and then went, oh, no, that seems dangerous and disabled the feature, which is yes. something that you can do. The, the 999 services have said, if you accidentally dial us, please don't just hang just up. Just say, yes. There's more paperwork to do if you hang up because they've got to then try to get hold of you and make sure that you are okay. If you actually say, I'm sorry, that was an accident... Yep. I don't they need anyone okay to help me. They are fine with that. Similarly, if you are uh, are worried about whether your office phone system is able to phone 999, hopefully over looks after that, tests it occasionally, but those test calls, you can do it as long as you tell them that we are just testing this to make sure it all works. Yep. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Bye. It, They're fine I, with that. If you do want to retain a relatively easy way of getting to uh, the emergency services whilst having that feature disabled, by the way, I don't know if this is common across all phones, um, but certainly on mine, if I push and hold the power button, um, so from being off, a long push of the power button then pops up a screen that then offers me the ability to turn off the phone, reboot it, or dial an emergency call, and you do that without having to unlock the phone. Um, so that may be a, a sort of sensible compromise of I want easy access, but also I uh, I don't want to inadvertently dial it. Yes, yes. So uh, lots of options. Do check your phone's uh, built-in help t- on how some of those settings can be adjusted. Yep, definitely. Uh, moving on now to uh, to smart watches. 
Uh, this is something we've uh, we've talked about uh, a few times, um, but a slightly a slightly bizarre one here, uh, which is there have been people, and this has been going on for uh, for a little while. I, I read about uh, a friend on social media uh, receiving this way back last year. Um, if you end up with a random unsolicited parcel delivery of a smartwatch that you didn't order and that nobody ordered for you, um, don't use it. <laughs> because this apparently is part of a uh, a larger um, set of scams and cybercrime tactics uh, to basically send people smartwatches, but with potentially malware installed on them, hoping yes. that people will say, oh, it's a shiny thing. I'll use that. I'll link that to my phone, link that exactly. to my accounts, yeah. and then go, in, uh, go on from there. Yeah, linking it to your accounts, giving it all all of the access to your phone, and most smartwatches need a phone to tether to to do the talk to the internet as as such. But there have been reports of some smartwatches then sniffing Wi-Fi networks, um, stealing data from phones, possibly infiltrating networks that they have connected to. Yeah, you know, it, it is a slight concern that you know you, you could be effectively bringing that proper Trojan horse into your environment unknowingly. And even if it's not that, even if it's not quite as sophisticated as that, um, another tactic that we do see a bit with smartwatches, but also other uh, sort of relatively high-value gifts, um, is a bit of a, a sort of uh, laundering scam where somebody will use a stolen credit card or stolen um, you know, purchase mechanism of some description to order something high value to your house. It gets delivered, you accept it, you think, why is this here? And then a few hours or a day or two later, they send somebody ostensibly a courier to say, oh, I'm so, so sorry, I delivered this to you by mistake. Could I collect it and pass it on to the actual recipient? Uh, hoping that people will say, oh, of course, I didn't order this. Here you go, have it back. Um, and what's happening is the legitimate courier is delivering it and then a malicious person is coming along, collecting it and then selling it on. So they've sort of broken the link between their identity and their delivery address by effectively sending it through you and use, using you as a uh, uh, as a way of cleaning up that uh, that audit trail so again do be aware of anything uh, that might be shiny arriving that you weren't expecting yes yes uh dodgy criminal criminal tactics these days anyway uh, talking about dodgy uh, artificial tactics <laughs> uh, the grammys have uh, announced that ai generated music is not going to be eligible for awards Interesting, and right, so, yeah. interesting that they have found it necessary to make that statement at it this point. It is very interesting. Uh, so they have said the official statement is the Grammys will only be allowed to go to human creators who have contributed creatively in the appropriate categories. Uh, so they're they're allowing AI music and content to be submitted. But there's going to be no awards for it at the moment. I guess there might be some new award categories having to be invented uh, for this. But, you know, how do you give an award to a bit of software? And I, I guess this is one of those things where it's it's probably going to pr prove to be much less of a, a sort of a, a binary uh, split between this is AI generated and this isn't and much more of a, a sort of a, a spectrum from this was entirely conceived of, written down, implemented, played, recorded entirely by humans through the concept and, and maybe the lyrics, maybe even the melody were, were 
were written by a human, but then it was synthesized using some kind of machine learning techniques, or the recording was mastered using some machine learning algorithms to to tweak the <laughs> tweak the recording. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's going to be a, not at all a, a clear definition. And no, and I think I, they might they might have to take some tips and notes from the world of photography yes. and how judges rule against whether a photo has been touched up and edited and tweaked, you know, literally photoshopped um, oh, totally. to, to change it from being a an original creation in camera. Exactly, and, and at what point is something, you know, modern cameras <laughs> do an awful lot <laughs> yes. um, in the camera. So at what point is something, you know, the artist and the creator using tools to express their creativity versus at what point are they not actually doing the creation themselves and just saying to a computer generate generate me a pretty picture or a, a, you know, a, I mean, a number if, one hit if um, we said I, <laughs> no, no machine learning involved in the creation of this well that throws auto-tune out the window <laughs> exactly yeah it, it, it's very it's very blurry and i suspect that what we're going to end up with is some categories that do permit different levels of uh, of machine learning techno- uh, techniques, maybe the uh, the allowance of some technologies but not others, or maybe it'll be a sort of you do what you want, but you have to be upfront about which bits, which yes. tools got used for. Yeah, um, and I think that's probably going to be the most honest way of doing it. Good luck on the academy on how they're going to judge that. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Maybe they need some AI to detect the uh, to detect the AI. Oh boy, yes. Um, moving to an interesting topic, we don't often talk about much and farming. Uh, yes, this is uh, <laughs> the this is an interesting one because, of course, when we think about the deployment of four G and five G, and of course all the technologies that came before that, um, a lot of the the mobile networks very keen to report on what percentage of the population they cover, not necessarily what percentage of the landmass they cover, um, and yes. of course much of the population is in densely uh, densely populated areas, our towns and cities, um, much less so in the more rural communities. Um, but it turns out it's really important to still have that coverage out in those rural communities for things like farming. Yes, you might have a new smart connected tractor. Yeah, just watch Clarkson's Farm to see about smart connected tractors. But um, digital... Um, connectivity is becoming more important in farming. So not just things like tractors and agricultural equipment that's able to use GPS and data to manage ploughing, sowing and harvesting, but also things like you might want uh, remote CCTV on a far field on the corner of your farm to look at, uh, look after wildlife, look for uh, dangers to your wildlife, to uh, dangers to your stocks. So it could be um, wildlife invading your your stocks, and it could be people stealing your your um, uh, animals. So those sort of things all require connectivity, and as you said, a lot of the rural areas have been not spots really and that is apparently improving yep um so uh ofcom have uh, done a survey in conjunction with the uh, uh the nfo and they found that generally things are are improving yeah we're now up to about 80 to 87 percent uh geographic coverage uh for 4g across all operators um and 73 to 82 percent of premises can now get outdoor 5g coverage with at least one operator so you know it's 
it's getting there, but nonetheless, um, 18% uh, still have a download speed of two megabit a second or less. Ooh. That is that's come down quite a lot. That's 12% better than it was last year, um, right. and 36% have super fast speeds of 24 megabits a second or above, and that's up to, uh, up from 12% uh, last year. So yeah, the the headlines are that things are improving it's going to be those last few that are going to be really tricky to solve. And I suspect things like Starlink that we've spoken about before um, are are going to be part of that solution, if not not all of it. There are also some government-led and industry-led projects, the Shared Rural Network and the Project Gigabit rollout, to increase the coverage of a lot more of the country, including those rural areas. Yeah, uh, and of course, this is something that uh, Vodafone and Three, who of course are uh, provisionally Talk, talking to each other, <laughs> they, they, they they've agreed that they want to merge. Yes. Uh, they're waiting for all the regulators to agree the same thing. But if they do merge, um, then that suddenly means that people who are on that resulting network, either current Vodafone or current Three customers, um, can can hopefully get the best of both worlds in terms of coverage once all of the integration work has happened and that i would expect will probably take a year or two post uh closure of the deal and uh, agreement from all the other parties so uh, watch this space and lastly we're going very pink we're going incredibly pink because xbox have announced a barbie themed console Yes, this is to, uh, um, to to coincide with the release of the upcoming Barbie movie, um, and it's been produced uh, alongside uh, content with for, uh, from Forza Horizon, and yep, it's exactly what you would expect it to be. So it uh, it sort of looks like it fits in with a is it a Barbie apartment um, or pretty much yeah yes, um, yes. sits in the- almost looking like a, a bit of a, a hardback book at the bottom. Yeah, the Xbox is. Bright Barbie pink with a Barbie logo printed on the front. The controllers will be available in pink and various other jazzy colours and schemes. And uh, obviously, um, there's going to be plenty of content around that to go with the thing. Um, these will be available, as you said, to coincide with the uh, Marvel. Uh, sorry, the Warner Brothers Pictures and Mattel launch of the Barbie movie. Uh, in theatres apparently 21st of July. Yes, I, I feel that I'm probably not the target audience for this, but I'm sure there will be many folks who will be. So there you go. If, if a pink Xbox is your thing, um, then do uh, do look out for the, uh, the Xbox Barbie edition. I'm just wondering if our sponsors, the Cambridge Centre for Computing History, will get a Barbie console. Oh, I'm sure they will. They've certainly got uh, plenty of other Xboxes. Right, coming up after the break, we are going to be talking about uh, tech for your dental health. Yep, that is a thing. Cambridge 105 Radio. Friday evenings on Cambridge 105 Radio, Amy Gray takes us from the 1990s and into the 2000s. From classic hits to forgotten gems, dance floor bangers to alternative anthems, there'll be games, chat and nostalgia, as well as something a bit different from the musical Lucky Dip, as we celebrate these fantastic decades. Amy Gray, Fridays at 6 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Listen again at cambridge105.co.uk. 
in need of legal advice you can trust? Woodfine Solicitors offers a range of expert and award-winning legal services, whatever your problem. If you've been charged with a road traffic offence but need your driving licence for your livelihood, Woodfines can help you deal with the police and courts. Contact our team of traffic lawyers for high-quality advice. Find out more about what we offer at woodfines.co.uk. Woodfines. Cutting through the red tape. Leonardo Hotel Milton Keynes is giving one lucky winner the chance to win a two-night getaway with a friend, including breakfast both mornings. Located on Midsummer Boulevard, Leonardo Hotel Milton Keynes is the perfect choice for a weekend break, with 279 stylish and spacious rooms featuring the dream bed by Leonardo Hotels. We have an on-site stylish bar and restaurant. We're just a five-minute walk from the train station and centrally located amongst all the main bars and restaurants. If you fancy a shopping trip, the Center MK and Midsummer Place are also within a five-minute walk. For the best rates, visit leonardohotels.co.uk and listen out for our competition question throughout the day here on Cambridge 105 Radio. Terms and conditions apply. The Gadget Guide on Cambridge 105 Radio with the Centre for Computing History, Cambridge. Making the history of computing fun for everyone. Visit computinghistory.org.uk to find out more. Anyway, uh, this uh, is the Gadget Guide on Cambridge 105 Radio with Rob and Lawrence, and we're talking now about dental technology. Uh, good evening to Medium Al. Uh, Medium AI, as he uh, seems to have signed his message. Uh, dear Gadget Guide, how do electric toothbrushes know when to stop? <laughs> so, should we should we jump in with that one uh, first, and then we'll talk yes. about which which ones you which ones you need? So, so first of all, maybe you, you, when you visited your dentist, hello Lucy, um, they said, "Do you use a manual electric toothbrush?" And the reason they ask that is because they know that electric toothbrushes generally do a better job. And it's mainly because we all have too little time these days to do anything to look after ourselves. And electric toothbrushes help us do a good two-minute clean. So how do, we, how do they know when to turn off? Well, basically what a lot of them implement is a buzzer that basically every 30 seconds uh, turns off the electric toothbrush and on again. So while it's vibrating against your teeth, every 30 seconds it will go and stop and then start again. And then when it's done that four times, after two minutes, it will buzz a little bit longer to tell you you've hit two minutes and you've done what the dentists recommend, the the optimum two minutes, and then you know you can stop. Yep, definitely. And and some of them will will get onto some of the details. But yeah, some of them do have that feature and that is definitely a, a useful guide. It means if you're listening to Cambridge 105 Radio in the morning, you know, concentrating on everything that Julian Clover's saying, it means you don't get distracted and you do know when to, uh, when to stop brushing <laughs> your teeth. So what do we need? You can go a huge range of prices on electric toothbrushes. And I will say, watch out for the offers because a lot of them oh, yes. are very regularly discounted in many of the major supermarkets. Yeah, it might be £50 normally, but you very often see them on offer for £25, £30. So yes. do keep an eye on things for maybe a few weeks uh, before you decide which one to buy. You can often get a good deal. Yeah, prices range anywhere from £12. That was the cheapest reasonable brand, real brand that I knew and recognised, uh, £12 up to £400. Wow. Those are the recommended retail prices. That four hundred pound one, the lowest I saw it get to was about three hundred. 
searching and checking online. As you said, often discounted. So maybe starting with what is an electric toothbrush and how does it work? So electric toothbrushes make rapid automatic bristle motions, either backwards and forwards or in a rotation mode where the actual head alternates clockwise and counterclockwise and rotates in order to clean your teeth. And these have been around for a long time, haven't they? It the first t- patent. It turns out, yeah. Yeah, first patent for an electric toothbrush was filed in 1937. So these are so not a new invention. Nearly um, 100 that, years. <laughs> yes, and that means they're probably not going away anytime soon either. As you say, they are generally recognised as giving a better clean for most people than a manual toothbrush. And that's just because they can move faster than you can with your, uh, with your hands. What was quite cool is seeing a picture of that 1937 toothbrush, it looked very similar it to does, today's electric yeah. toothbrushes. You, you'd be quite easily recognise it as an electric toothbrush. All of the things that we see in, a, in an electric toothbrush today are in it. Anyway, so technology, that rotation, that speed, there are various speeds and various rotation types that give us the gradings between oscillating, rotating, sonic and ultrasonic, basically just as they go faster. Some manufacturers uh, aim for the more ultrasonic speeds, Philips being the notable ones that uh, um, sell theirs as uh, sonic, and then a crowd called Megasonics who market theirs as ultrasonic. It just means it moves faster and it vibrates faster. Whether that works for everyone is not necessarily consistent. Uh, and I, I have to say that some people will find the sensation of an electric toothbrush pleasant, some deeply unpleasant, and there are models that have different sorts of speed, different sorts of movement. Yep. Um, so if you do try an electric toothbrush, you find it's not for you, you know, don't give up on the idea. It may be that a different one works better for you and your mouth um, than the first one you try. You, know, you, you probably don't want to be sharing the toothbrush head with anyone, but pretty much all toothbrushes have interchangeable heads, so you don't necessarily need one each. Um, you know, if you've got a partner who's got, got one that they like to start with, maybe just get a spare head, you give it a try, um, and see see whether you get on with it rather than having to buy the entire toothbrush yourself. It's also important to note that a lot of the brands and some of the big brands, Oral-B, who are part of the Gillette company, Philips, Panasonic, Sonisk, Suri, all have different types of heads. So you might have the mm, same handle, yes. but they might have different types of heads, some for more sensitive teeth. So if you have sensitive teeth, Go looking for the brush head that is designed for sensitive teeth. It will give a different sensation and a different feel to the brushing, but still do a good job. Um, so went through and had a look at a lot of toothbrushes that are available. As I said, there are some ridiculously priced ones. The, the one that I found was the best value recommendation. Uh, it's around £45, and that's the Oral-B Pro 3 Cross Action. That's about the same price from Amazon, Tesco, Superdrug and Boots. Everyone's got it at about that sort of price, and that's the offer price. Uses Oral-B's cross-action heads, which average about £3 each. Comes with one head, but it uses all of their standard original design heads as well. So and you do by, by cross-action, that means it's doing this, that sort of rotating left and right slide. It doesn't sort of Correct. go all the way around in a circle, but then also back and forth a little bit. So it's yes. just trying to get into all those nooks and crannies between your uh, between your teeth. And of course, that's something you can't do if you're brushing yourself. You, know, you can probably go 
you know, forward and back and maybe left and right a bit, but you can't do the up, <laughs> up and down very effectively. It, it yes. just doesn't work with, with the way your hands move. Yes. Now, a couple of clever things in the, the Pro 3. It's got a, uh, a system called uh, gum pressure control. So if you push too hard, it will signal that by slowing the brush down and flashing red. And, and that is something to definitely, because I, I actually got caught by this um, because I I did this for a while and then I actually got some, some dental pain. Um, I thought, oh, hang on, this isn't right. Um, and I went to the dentist and uh, and they said, oh no, 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 you haven't got any, yeah, haven't got any cavities. Don't need any fillings. You're, You're brushing just too brushing hard. too, <laughs> brushing too hard. <laughs> yes. I didn't realise this was a thing even. Um, yep. And it turns out that yes, that red light on on my toothbrush was not a goal. <laughs> it was a thing to avoid. Um, <laughs> and you know, more is not always better. And and you actually no. just need a, a pretty light pressure um, to let, let let the toothbrush do the work. Yes. Uh, the built-in timer, as we mentioned, two-minute uh, timer. Medium L's timer, yep. Yeah. Medium L's timer. And it, it ticks all the boxes that your dentist would go, it's a good electric toothbrush. It's got no bells and whistles. It's got the things you need, and it does the job. Like I said, starting from 45 quid. So that's that's where you should be aiming for for reasonable you can get oral b have got some cheaper ones in their range the the 12 pound ones do exist they are entry-level ones normally to give to kids uh yep. to get them started on this because one thing to to remember is if you drop an electric toothbrush sadly they can suffer damage quite badly dropping onto hard bathroom floors and that can throw them out of alignment where they could start to not work as well and could give you a bit of gum pain. So if you've dropped your electric toothbrush and it doesn't quite feel right in your mouth, you might need to replace the whole electric toothbrush. Yeah. Um, as as well as that, uh, bear in mind the thing that is going to need replacing the most often is not the, the handle, not the, the bit that's got the motor and the battery and everything like that. It's just the toothbrush head. So rather than, um, as you would with a, a manual toothbrush, throwing the whole thing away and getting a new one, um, you just need to replace the head every sort of one to three months um, some of them have got wear indicators built in um, so they'll change color or lose their color uh, as it's yeah. time to replace it i i find that it my my gums and my teeth tend to <laughs> tend to let me know when it's uh, when it's about time for that yeah anyway. your, your, your cleaning isn't as effective when the the brush head is worn out do yep. do read the package on on what the brush indicator color changes mean and yes. when it is time to replace it if you do clean longer than two minutes a day, uh, twice a day, then you're going to change them a bit sooner. And it's not a bad thing if you find that three minutes is what you need. Three minutes is what you do. Um, but do, do change do look your... Out for, I was going to say, do look out for offers on the brush heads yes. because much like the toothbrushes, uh, they can be a little bit pricey. Um, it's, I think in some cases there's a little bit of the, uh, the Gillette uh, disposable razor model going on here yes. uh, where they make a lot of their money out of the brush heads. Um, but... You can get some good deals either online in multi-packs or just looking out for the offers in supermarkets as well. Yeah, two to three pounds per head is, is a good average for brush heads. And that will get you uh, the, <laughs> the unit feeling like new again. Yep. Uh, coming up next, we're going to be talking about dental technology. So we've just uh, just been speaking about electric toothbrushes and uh, some of the deals to be had there, what you should do, what you should look for. Uh, but 
toothbrushes aren't the only bit of, uh, of technology to do with your teeth, are they? Because flossing is the thing that we're all told that we should do by our <laughs> dentists. And maybe not quite all of us actually do it. Yes, and as Lucy said, said earlier on Drive uh, and was told by her dentist, you should floss first, then mouthwash, then brush, then mouthwash. It does sound like a lot of mouthwashing. Um, I was going to say that's, uh, I think, three things more than uh, (laughs) than I tend to do. (laughs) So flossing, yes, I know a lot of us battle to get floss between our teeth and there are posher flosses. Yes, you can get quite clever floss. Super floss is a real thing. Search for it. Uh, Basically where the end of the floss has got a very, very small but rigid end that you can poke between those really difficult to get between teeth to pull the floss through and then start feeding it through and and doing the cleaning, which is a little bit easier than battling with that stuff you've wound off the reel. Um, But if you really don't want to do the flossing thing, think about the interdental brushes, the little TP brushes. They can be quite good, but do talk to your dentist about those because overuse of those, you can get ticked off about don't use these too close to your gums and so on. But... The the a whole lot less pain, painful version is the water floss. Yes, so this is uh, the, this doesn't have any sort of consumable bits apart from uh, the water itself. That's uh, that's relatively cheap, um, and effectively it uses a, a jet of relatively high pressure water. Um, yeah, very very narrow stream um, that it sort of squirts between your teeth. And the whole yes. idea of this, as with any other flossing, is to try and make sure any sort of residual bits of your food aren't left stuck between the teeth where they can break down and then cause uh, cause problems. So instead of trying to pull them, you know, effectively string, thin, thin string uh, between your teeth, this instead squirts out any residue uh, with a tank of water. It looks a little bit like an electric toothbrush, but without the head and with a little bit of a water tank on the back. Yes, a little bit heavier because you filled it with water. Um, you're wanting to spend between, well, on average about 20, 30 quid for one of these. If you go on your favourite online retailer, you'll find lots of brands you've never heard of for yep. these things. They will all work pretty much the same way. Uh, do look for the ratings and pick something based on the ratings is the best advice I can give on these because they're all doing the same sort of job. Yes, uh, and of course it's... I, I would guess, and I, I say this not as a, uh, a dentist, but my, my guess here is that the design is much less critical than an electric toothbrush because rather than having a, a sort of relatively complex design of head that has to move in specific ways to, to try and get the bristles between your teeth, here all you're trying to do is to squirt a bit of water. It doesn't really matter which direction it's going in as long as it's consistent. Um, and then you're the one that's kind of doing directing that to, uh, to to the right bit between your teeth. So uh, plenty of options there. Some of them have an integrated tank into the handle. Uh, that means it's nice and compact, um, but a little heavier, as you say. Uh, some of them have a separate tank that sa- uh, stays on your bathroom shelf uh, or windowsill, and then a smaller handle that's connected with uh, a little bit of flexible tubing. So maybe that's a little lighter to hold in your hand, but it does mean you're, you're tethered on instead of uh, entirely cordless. Slightly more expensive those, but then they might work better for you. So yes, as I said, plenty of options available. Uh, also in your favourite, um, yes, supermarket possibly, and also the likes of your larger pharmacies. 
Yeah. Um, now this is a, a gadget that you uh, you maybe hadn't thought of, or maybe didn't know didn't know that you needed. Uh, and that is <laughs> we an, love autom- that. an automated toothpaste dispenser. Uh, these are these are genius. Um, so these are typically wall-mounted gadgets. Um, again, lots of different brands available, uh, predominantly online. Um, and you mount your normal tube of toothpaste uh, in the top of it. And then when you put your toothbrush head into a little uh, opening in the front, it will dispense just the right amount of toothpaste onto the head without you having to touch it. Yes. Now, they are not battery operated. They're entirely mechanical processes, which is very clever. So basically, you prime the up. system, you pump it up so that basically when you push your head, toothbrush head in the mechanical movement of you pushing against a lever inside is what does the dispensing of the toothpaste they apparently get a lot more of the toothpaste out of the tube but also give you that useful amount the correct amount probably quite useful for if you've got kids to make sure that they're using the right amount of toothpaste every time with possibly less mess (laughs) no guarantee there Um, but you know using uh, the right amount for them. Some of them have got a kid-specific section uh, in the dispenser so that you teach the kids to ah, push nice. it, which does a little bit less toothpaste because kids shouldn't use as much as adults necessarily. Yeah. Chat to your dentist. I, um, I, I think these are, uh, are actually genius. It's, it's one of those things that you can very easily dismiss as, oh, well, what's the point in that? I can squeeze a tube of toothpaste. But actually, you know what, that could make life a little bit easier, particularly if you haven't got the best dexterity in your hands or the best strength. Um, yeah, it's it's just there, it's ready to go, and if it makes you more likely to brush your teeth a bit better, then that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, under 20 quid on average. Search on your favourite online retailers for toothpaste dispenser. Uh, a couple of more things. Uh, first of all, UV is toothbrush sterilisers you might have come across. They sound like a bit of a gimmick but can do pretty good job of killing most bacteria in toothbrush heads. And research has said that they do do a reasonable job, but don't kill everything. Uh, one bit of recommendation I read was that store your toothbrush bristly bits down in a small container with a bit of mouthwash, enough to cover oh, the bristles. That's a good idea, Mouthwash yes. is quite good at killing most bugs that yep. are going to be on that. So that uh, mecha- manual toothbrushes, you can pop in the microwave for 10 seconds, no longer than that because they might melt. Yep. Do don't test do it with an don't older do it with one an, first. Uh, an electric toothbrush head. Definitely. Even the head has bits of metal in it for the springs. Yep. Or uh, mecha- uh, manual toothbrushes uh, in a bit of boiling water for a minute or two Brussels sides down. Last thing, do search online for Philips TerraCycle to find the Philips Dental Care free recycling program by TerraCycle. They do take heads other than Philips as well where you can send all of that plastic off to be turned into other things again. Very good. That's all we've got time for on this week's Gadget Guide. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with another episode. 105. Cambridge 105 Radio.